Hi, my name's Noreen Jamil, and this is... Emily Kate Stevens. Both of us have been diagnosed with long COVID. And we've created this podcast dedicated to the condition. Welcome to the Long COVID Sessions. So, Emily, my love, how was your week? I think I'm just trying to forget all of the crappy bits now. I feel like I've had a not very good week or so. Is that what you'd say? How's it been? Now, what have I reported to you? You've had a terrible week. Two <laughs> weeks, I think. It's been pretty appalling. Has it? Wait, let me quote you. I feel like my insides are rotting. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I've put that all out of my mind because I feel all right today, apart from I feel sick all the time. This nausea and I am struggling with food Sometimes I just can't face eating anything other than beige carbohydrate. Oh, yeah, I was feeling horrible, wasn't I? And everything, all of my old injuries are aching. Where I've broken my toes, it's aching. I've been having that, you know, when we talk about that lymph pain under your arm, lymph pain coming down one side of my neck. I've, yeah, I've been feeling like my insides were rotting. That's right. (laughs) Oh, we have to laugh. Um, <laughs> we were just talking earlier that um, you say you feel like you're getting arthritis in your wrists. Does it hurt in the mornings? Because I get that sometimes and then it goes away. Like my joints are very yeah. stiff and I can feel them being stiff. So I've really been struggling to open jars and that kind of thing with my hands. Right. So it could just be osteoarthritis. It might be load bearing on my hands. It might be from yoga, but I've never had it before. And these past few weeks, it just, my thumbs ache and joint aches, knees aching. But then I am now very old. So. (laughs) Not too young. Younger than me. Blimey. I feel 100. I know. But that's the thing. I think we have aged shockingly oh yes so I went out didn't I I I did go and socialize and I didn't drink alcohol because I don't but it took me two days to recover I was awful after that and (laughs) I woke up the day after and I had literally developed wrinkles my skin around my eyes had really turned to paper I could see it had completely changed between one day and the next what I did is I put some eye cream on that I then hadn't (laughs) allergic reaction to because I'm allergic to everything but my eyes are finally going back to normal but it's quite weird the physical impact that you can actually see in your body things taking a toll on you like that I've never had that before yeah today I've had the swimmer's fingers you know where the mm. the, the ends of your fingers are wrinkly, wrinkly. in the bath too long mm. and I, I I don't know what that is but I get it from time to time so that's good because it's a change from a few weeks ago when I was just feeling really, really puffy. Like I was feeling so puffy that I couldn't even bend my hands. Maybe that's some kind of edema and now when the moisture has left your body, <laughs> we've gone all wrinkly. <laughs> oh, I can't even laugh because I have muscle spasms in my brain. Oh dear. Hold on a minute. Let me get rid of that one. 
so yeah I've had a pretty shocking time I've also had all of those horrible heart things you know when you lie down at night and then your heart goes crazy and you think okay this rhythm is very very strange and because I can hear my heart really clearly and feel the blood it's it's weird it's very weird but tell me about you because we are now five weeks post-covid yes you're five weeks post-covid five weeks post-covid and this time plus Paxlovid that's the additional magic bean that I threw into this pot this Mm. time and pretty much far for the course tachycardia is back blood pressure is back surprisingly I didn't feel that my blood pressure was high but I've been having some tests one of the tests before I had it done, they had to do my blood pressure. And it was crazy high and I felt nothing. Yeah, I think that's what's weird is that <clears throat> you don't feel any different when you've got that high blood pressure. Yeah, it runs in my family. My father has high blood pressure. It was like a 156 over 101, so pretty high. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> she was like, do you take medication? I said, oh, well, I did. And then I stopped because it, it normaled out and it seems to have come back again. So maybe I should take it again. So I've been back on it. Do you think that the Paxlovid has done anything in terms of your long COVID, five weeks post-COVID? Do you feel different to the previous infections? Yes. At this point, I feel a bit better okay. than I did. Because I don't have, touch wood, I'll probably get them tomorrow now. I don't have the palpitations, yeah. which is the thing that I really hate. I am getting quite breathless. My sleeping heart rate has incrementally gone up over the past three years. And sometimes now when I wake up, I can feel it racing. And I think that's that fight and flight thing that we get is back. Yeah, something, yeah, adrenergic, uh, something to do with the overadrenaline. Just everything kind of firing. Hair loss has, has come back a bit. How's your tongue feeling? Oh, my tongue is terrible, but my tinnitus or my creepy crawly ear feeling is gone. Has it? It has. It was really bad for two or three weeks, or maybe even longer. Um, but now it seems to settle down. I'd say that was something to do with the nerves in your ear being rattled by the COVID, by the virus. I'm not a doctor. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but when I, like I said last week, when I took the Paxlovid, my ear and my tongue it went straight away. cleared up. Yeah, and uh, as soon as I stopped, both have come back. And the ear thing was really bugging me, and it's it's gone away now because I noticed that it wasn't there the other day. Oh, that's nice. How's your tinnitus? Yeah, my tinnitus has been awful off the scale at points. You know, we've worked in newsrooms all our life, and you know when someone's left the TV on just with the tone, and yeah. I just have that high-pitched tone in my head all the time. Oh, God, I've um, walked around newsrooms. Looking for the tone. Newsroom, looking for the tone. Yeah, who's got tone? Just to monitor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like that constantly in my head. It's a real roller coaster, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's delightful. But one of the things that you and I talk about is we just put all these things down to long COVID because I fundamentally feel that all of these things ha- have stemmed from COVID. I don't check them out. But then when you talk to other people, they say, have you been to have that checked out? And you say, oh, no, it's just long COVID. Well, you've been throwing up for three weeks. Do you not think you should speak to someone? But the thing is that it has been cyclical for me throughout the whole of the last three years. And not only that, we have each other to talk about, to talk to. So if you have something and I get it, I'm kind of a bit reassured. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then in the beginning, when I would have all these weird heart episodes, I'd rush off to, ER, to the ER, to the emergency room. 
and sit there for God knows how long, you know, six hours, seven hours, eight hours. You know. To only be dismissed, really? To only be just have all the blood work done and told I'm okay and you go home. So now I just kind of live with it. If yeah. You just you write it out. Yeah. And I don't know if that's foolish or it keeps you sane. Should we talk about this week's guest? Let's. So this week we spoke to Jack Lambert, who is a clinical professor and consultant in infectious diseases at the Martyr Hospital in Dublin, Ireland. He has a history in various chronic conditions, HIV, Hep C, Ebola, a lot of Lyme. work in Lyme disease. And he's been seeing long COVID patients since the very beginning. Yeah, he, he set up the long COVID clinic at the Martyr Hospital with no funding to begin mm. with. And then it eventually ran out of the zero funding that it had and it closed. <laughs> what was really interesting about the fact that he set up this clinic was that he immediately thought to check on his patients, his COVID patients, in the weeks following their COVID infection. Because I know, and subsequently. He said there was a high likelihood of something developing. And we come across these doctors, we seem to find them all the time because we're looking under all the rocks. But how amazing that this doctor thought to do that. And I think that's his background in infectious diseases. Yeah, and it's always really exciting when we get to speak to these people that had that foresight and not only this prolonged interest in it, just the papers that these people have read and absorbed and the information that they are trying to pass from other conditions into long COVID. Oh, we are really, really lucky with some of these people that we get to speak to. Now, this week, I really urge people to listen because it's a really practical TLC session. He does give some really practical advice and has a protocol to treat on COVID patients. That he has had success with. He has, he has had people recover. Do you want to just start with your views about long COVID and what you think is going on in the body? Okay, so the Matra Hospital is a national isolation unit of Ireland, and so we we are the first people to see all highly infectious diseases. So we received the first Irish patients with COVID back in March, actually, so three years ago now. And so I personally admitted most of the first patients with COVID and admitted most patients to the ICU, HDU, and we established a follow-up clinic for patients with COVID. And based on reports coming out of China, based on reports from SARS and from MERS, some patients never recovered. So we knew that there was a, a post-infectious chronic fatigue, other symptoms that existed. So we actually were able to get research money from the Irish government, from the Health Research Board, to put together a prospective study to follow these patients. So, so we did that very thing starting in May uh, 2020, that that was our first long COVID patients, patients still sick three months after their original infection in March. And I've actually followed about 1,700 patients since the beginning of time. So we, we followed all patients with COVID in our clinic, healthy and unhealthy. So we've got a good perspective on... Yeah, that's incredible foresight on your part, because a lot of doctors didn't even consider that they might be a post-viral consequence of COVID at that time. And few places have done follow-up. Right. But all you need to do is not rocket science. If you're, if you're a good scientist, you, you have to do a PubMed search. And if you do a PubMed search, you look up the literature 
and you find it. So I think the issue is, is that long COVID today, three years later, has not been well dealt with because people are not looking to the, at the science and people are not looking at previous experience of other coronaviruses, MERS, Middle Eastern SARS, uh, SARS, the disease that kind of affected, what, 20 years ago, uh, spread from China to Singapore and to Canada to Toronto. So there's lots of literature on this condition called long COVID. And you'd also done a lot of work into HIV and Ebola before. So do you think that coming from that standpoint, you were more acutely aware of the post-viral complications? Well, I, I think so. But actually, more, most interestingly, I think the, the thing that gives me, gave me the best understanding is I take care of patients with Lyme disease. And about 20% of people who get Lyme disease, even after get the, they get the treatment, they don't get better. They are persistently unwell for years and years after their initial infection. And they have actually very similar symptoms to long COVID. So I've been actually, I put together protocols to treat Lyme disease. And then for those who didn't get better on the treatment, some protocols to support the, co- the post-infective complications of Lyme disease. And I kind of adapted those treatments as I followed people in my long COVID clinic. And as the first, for the first year, these people were mostly healthcare workers, previously very healthy young adults. And some of them just never got better, you know, and they tried to go back to work and they crash and they tried to go back to work and they crash. So for the first year, I just followed most of the patients in my long COVID clinic, brought them back every three months. And this is what's unique. What happens with long COVID is doctors see them once and then they discharge them. So they never follow them. So then they say, oh, they're all better because they didn't come back. But the reality is, is they weren't getting better. And I then I started using LDN, low-dose naltrexone, that I've used for years with chronic Lyme patients. And actually, LDN was used back in the day of HIV and AIDS in the 80s, when there was no treatment for, for HIV. And patients with HIV get sicker and sicker. Their immune system got lower and lower. The inflammation in their body got worse and worse. And they developed a lot of pain syndromes and neurological syndromes and worsening immunodeficiency. And LDN seemed to benefit even back in the 80s. It was almost like a palliative treatment. Better to go on LDN and live a good six months than go on a morphine drip and go into coma and die. That was the experience with LDN in the 80s with with HIV. Before we go too far down the LDN path yet, could you just tell us what you believe is happening in the body in long COVID and whether that is different to what's happening in the body in other post-viral conditions? You've seen a lot of neurological damage from from the disease. Can you just explain to us what you believe that mechanism or that driver is before we then try to understand how LDN might possibly work? Yes, we'll talk about LDN later. LDN is not the only solution, but it's part of the solution. But stepping back a little bit then is that in the first wave of COVID, we thought that the Delta variant was attacking the heart and the lungs. And we really thought that the long-term complication was going to be heart damage and lung damage. But we, we've, we did studies in Dublin, actually, and patients hospitalized and their, their symptomatology. And about a third of patients with acute COVID had brain problems as part of their acute infection. And a third of patients had, actually had intestinal problems, diarrhea, abdominal pain, vomiting, 
intestinal symptoms as well. So it was very clear that COVID affected not just the heart and the lungs, but it affected the brain. And then as we followed patients six months, 12 months after they had their COVID, uh, the heart healed, the lungs healed, but the brain didn't heal. So that was really the first observation. And the literature came out as early as December 2020, do a PubMed search. And this is what I do every day. Um, you do a PubMed search and some of the literature starting in December looked at the neurological complications of COVID. And then early 2021, a number of publications come out kind of hypothesizing it was the brain and the posterior parts of the brain that was damaged. There's different parts of the brain. There's the cortex, and then there's the cerebellum, pons, medulla. And the data started showing that it was actually the posterior part of the brain that was the problem. And then people started doing PET scans and other scans. And the PET scans on people with long COVID were showing PET scans of the brain showed hypoperfusion defects in the posterior part of the brain. And that part of the brain controls your balance. That's where your pain centers are. That's where your respiratory centers are. That's where the nerves, the sympathetic, parasympathetic system is controlled. Uh, that's where the, the vagus nerve comes out of that part of the brain. We knew that from early on that the nerves that were infected with COVID were cranial nerve one and two, the smell and the taste. But it became very clear that there was other nerves involved. The facial nerve was involved the nerves running through the ear, the, the facial nerve and the trigeminal nerve, which is cranial nerve five. And then just about a year and a half ago, lots of publications come out on the vagus nerve being involved in long COVID as well. So I think one issue is brain inflammation. Okay. So that's one part of the solution. Do you think that all symptoms could be attributed to brain inflammation? No, no, that's one part of the problem. The next thing that we noted was that Patients would try to, thought they were getting a bit better and they'd push and they'd crash. So there's an element of crashing. So what is causing the crashing? I think that's the next question. And I think that's a really critical question. And the thinking is that the virus or, or does damage at the cellular level, almost to the mitochondria. And pe people get this, what's called a mitochondrial crash. And the best analogy I can give you is there's some children born with enzyme deficiencies, mitochondrial deficiencies, and they, they have muscle weakness. And if they try to exert themselves too much, they, they basically, the muscles turn to jelly and they have to go to bed, lie down because they just crash. And that's well recognized. And I think there's very, a lot of similarities between the long COVID patients that try to push too much when they think they're better. Physical exertion, either mental exertion or intellectual exertion, too much time on the computer, and all of a sudden they're exhausted the next day and they can't get out of bed. So I think there's an element of mitochondrial dysfunction. And then the third part is some kind of a immunological damage, some kind of autoimmune inflammatory immunological problem that COVID is causing, long COVID is causing. And we, we don't totally understand that, but some of the theories are that that there is probably residual proteins, spike proteins, dead antigens in the body from COVID, and the immune system is t attacking that. Additionally, I, I see a lot of long COVID patients, and I, I measure the lymphocytes and the lymphocyte markers, and a lot of them have low lymphocytes. The lymphocytes are similar to patients with HIV and AIDS, quite interestingly. 
So the lymphocytes are damaged. And if your lymphocytes are damaged, then you're more likely to get reactivation of underlying infections that are dormant in your system. And we've actually just submitted for publication from the MATAR a study in all of the patients from the ICU and the HDU and looking at viral reactivation. And 10% of those patients had reactivation of herpes viruses, zoster viruses in the acute setting. And then we're all also uh, in the ICU for some reason, they measured Epstein-Barr virus PCR. They measured CMV PCR, which is very unusual. We don't usually do that on normal patients in the hospital. We only usually measure those viruses in the setting of HIV and AIDS in transplant patients who are severely immunodeficient. These are the kind of patients that get reactivation of CMV and EBV. But nonetheless, we found that otherwise normal people with COVID, they were getting reactivation of these infections. So by analogy, I no studies have really come out to prove this. But my observation is I think lots of people with long COVID, part of the symptomatology could be related to reactivation of some of these viruses, Epstein-Barr virus, CMV. I am seeing young people with three episodes of zoster within six months following COVID, which is very unusual. Young children breaking out with zoster following their COVID infection. So I do think there's an element of immunodeficiency, reactivation of endogenous herpes viruses, DNA viruses. And also, I think, as mentioned, the lymphocytes, the white cells of the body, help you fight infection, clear infection. But lymphocytes, especially CD4, CD8 lymphocytes, they control your immune system. They control your antibody production. They're involved in autoimmunity. If they're defective, then I think people have all these allergic symptoms. People have these histamine mast cell problems. Oh, that's related to the lymphocytes as well. I think it is. I think it is. And, and then I think the final issue is what's causing these hypoperfusion defects in the brain that I mentioned on the PET scan. And in the setting of acute COVID in the ICU, about 10% of the patients were getting very unusual blood clots. So COVID causes some kind of a hypercoagulable state. And there's a lot of evidence coming out now that part of the problem, probably the, the underlying pathogenesis of what's going on in the brain might be these micro clots, micro blood clots in some of the small blood vessels. Um, it's still theoretical, but I think it's, it's quite complex. The long COVID is causing damage at lots of different levels to different parts of the body and, and different parts of the system, the, the mechanisms of the body. But critically, the, the brain is really an important target. Do you feel like this is a cascading illness? So one bit triggers the next bit? Or do you think it all stems from lymphocytes being diminished? No, no, I think there's lots of different factors. The next question is, who's more likely to get long COVID? That's the next issue. And I think a lot of people have some kind of pre-existing sort of defect in their immune system that's just been taken advantage by, by COVID. So if you actually take a history in people, some people are 100% previously well, but sometimes you'll see, oh, 15 years ago, I had an outbreak of shingles, which is kind of unusual. Or I was out of college for six months, university with Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome, 15 years before. Some people have these funny 
minor autoimmune diseases, minor immunodeficiencies that are probably not recognized. Women have a higher incidence of autoimmune diseases. COVID is not exclusively in women. Long COVID is not exclusively in women, but there's a predilection towards women over men. And I think that there probably is some pre-existing predisposition, autoimmune dysfunction that hasn't been recognized in people. Okay. Are you seeing the brain inflammation, the mitochondrial, the lymphocytes, are you seeing all of them in each long COVID patient? Or does it tend to be just some people have some bits affected and others not? Yeah, everybody's different. Some people have just exclusively exhaustion, crashing, cognitive problems. Some people have that, plus they have a lot of allergic skin rashes and sensitivity to food, sensitivity to medicines they never had before. So that's kind of a histamine mast cell issue. Some people are getting repeated outbreaks of shingles. Uh, Some people have pain syndromes, horrible pain syndromes, horrible neuralgias. Some people have the autonomic instability, the fight or flight, the anxiety, the temperature dysregulation. I've got all of these that you've listed so far. You know, some of them have some of them, some of them have all of them. Yeah, I've got all of those. Tachycardia, it's very complex, you know. For me, it's mostly heart. So I've got lots of tachycardia, Mm -hmm. chest pain, Mm -hmm. some dysautonomia. So sometimes I feel quite dizzy, but not often. And you definitely have the mast cell activation as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so, so, so the thing is, is when people say, what's the magic recipe for treating people? Well, there is no magic recipe. You actually have to individualize because one treatment for one person will actually totally backfire for the other person. So I do think we're learning a lot about this. It's, it's a very complex condition. So it worries me. Let, let's just go back to the lymphocytes that I, I, I was lucky enough to have my T-cells tested twice. And I have very low CD8, CD4, and NK cells. Mm-hmm. Will this continue for my life and then put me in danger of developing cancers or mm-hmm. anything like that long term? This is the question right. that plays on my mind quite a bit. Right. If you look at what CD4 cells do, CD4 cells are involved in antibody production. They're involved in cancer surveillance. They have really a critical role. But if you look at the HIV analogy, The reason people got HIV is because the virus kept on damaging, damaging, damaging and lowering the immune system. The reality is, is that it's a little bit different with COVID. I think the COVID is gone. I think the COVID is dead. Now, now, now the issue is that there's probably multiple factors keeping the lymphocytes low. But I think there's an opportunity to do things to repair the immune system. So, so I would say... If your symptoms are being triggered by reactivation of viruses, you know, doing things to repair the immune system will potentially get your lymphocytes back in a normal range, getting them working again. The question is, how do you do that? Nobody really knows. I have my, I have my recipe. <laughs> you had our hopes up for five seconds there. Well, we were hopeful for the first time in three years, but yeah. I'm not trying to discourage people. I'm just saying is that is that, you know, right now people keep on saying, we don't know anything about COVID. We don't know anything about long COVID. There is no treatment. And right now, most medical practitioners are just, what I say, they're just treating the symptoms. They're, oh, you're anxious, take Dalmain. The anxiety is driven by sympathetic, parasympathetic overdrive. Yeah, yeah, that's what we keep saying. If you repair the sympathetic, parasympathetic overdrive, 
It's not anxiety. These are people who didn't have anxiety previously. That's exactly what I keep saying to people, because I I think it was in my first GP appointment that I managed to get 13 months into long COVID. They said, well, I think maybe you're anxious or depressed. I said, I don't have a history of that. I've never had. It's a physiological symptom. It's my heart goes funny and it gives me this feeling of anxiety. But you are so right that the the treatment pretty much everywhere is treating the symptoms and not not trying to address the underlying cause. People are putting Band-Aids on a bleeding wound. You know, this is the problem. Yeah. The big elephant in the room is reinfection. Right. And, and I agree. Right. So how can you repair your immune system if you keep getting reinfected? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, a, a good quality mask is a good idea. Yeah. Doing everything you can to keep your immune system healthy so that you don't, don't catch it again. But like, unfortunately, it's so infectious. I have some of my staff, despite being meticulous at work and meticulous at home, they've had five episodes of COVID despite being vaccinated four or five times. So it's quite tricky. One one little trick that I, I do, there's an antiviral product that Boots make called Dual Defense. And it actually has has some kind of a seaweed extract in it called Carrigan that has antiviral activity. So I, I wear a mask and I use, I, I, I take this nasal spray every day as recommended by some of my colleagues who are herbalists and they kind of swear by it. So I, I just think there's, there's, you don't want to catch COVID again, but you can't, you can't live in a bubble. You have to come up with a solution that is safe as you possibly can be. And my solution is wear a mask and use this dual defense, you know, antiviral every day. Because I got COVID a year ago myself, a year ago, March, and I have all of the symptoms that you have in, in a very mild degree. So I kind of say, I'm one of the examples of, the walking wounded with long COVID. I have bad sinuses I never had before. I have, when I look out, it looks like I'm looking through, you know, kind of underwater, the water, my vision is just a little bit blurry. I have random pains in my chest. I have random rashes in my chest. I, every now and I get, I, I get these hot and cold flushes and I know I'm not menopausal, you know, uh, which is the excuse that's used for many people. Yeah, definitely. You know, woman. Tell us about your protocol that you've designed. Well, well, basically, when I see patients, I say, look, people with COVID, long COVID are deficient in certain trace minerals, zinc, selenium, magnesium, coenzyme Q10 seems to be important. So I, I always say, go on a multivitamin that contains zinc, selenium, magnesium, and coenzyme Q10. And there's some products in Ireland, for example, that are available People use a product called Revive Active, which is a combination of different products. I work with the herbalists in Scotland, and they have a product called Sublime Vitality, which is a combination of 34 different ingredients, some of which are anti-inflammatory, which some of which are thought immune-modulating, you know, just to replace the deficiencies that we think are present in patients with COVID, long COVID. So that's one part of the solution. People have done studies on manipulating the gut to, to speed up recovery from COVID. So I said it make, there are studies on use of probiotics to speed up recovery from COVID because your gut is your immune system. 90% of your immune cells are in the gut, not in the blood. So I say go on a probiotic, go on kefir. Some kind of kefir is kind of a yogurt product that my Eastern European colleagues in Ireland, you know, a lot of Polish people use kefir to treat chronic fatigue syndrome, to treat fibromyalgia. They've used it for centuries. So I say Doing dietary changes to repair the gut can be helpful as well. The next thing is 
just moving forward, the crashing. I told you that the children with mitochondrial disorders crash. One of the products that they're given is a product called NEC, N-acetylcysteine. N-acetylcysteine, uh, 600 milligrams, two capsules a day, NAC is converted to glutathione. Glutathione is thought to be deficient in the mitochondria. So what you're doing is really repairing the mitochondria so that you don't get the crashing. The mitochondria are critical in terms of muscle, muscle strength, power. And I think this, this is part of the problem with the crashing. So it makes sense. Some people go on liposomal glutathione, which is very expensive. NAC is cheap, okay? And is NAC a supplement rather than a drug? It's a supplement, but you can actually, it is used as a drug as well. So in Ireland, you can you can actually get it covered as a prescription, but you can also order it as a supplement from a health food store, okay? Okay. So it's used for multiple So 600 milligrams twice a day. Twice a day. And and then um, anti natural anti-inflammatories, things like turmeric and a number of other things. And then Similarly, the, the group that I work with, uh, Just Herbs, they've put together a product called Sublime Essential Capsules, and it has the NAC, it has turmeric in it, it has resveratrol, it has green tea extract, it has bromelain, it has about eight, nine different ingredients that target the immune system, target inflammation, and also target mast cell histamine release. So that's one product, but there's lots of different products that are available. And we really can't prove that these products work, but it just makes sense. What you're saying ties into so many, the people that we've spoken to so far, a lot of people have come at it from their individual angles. So we've spoken to a professor about probiotics. Noreen, if you think about um, the Distance 9, that's all of the natural anti-inflammatory products. Antivirals. Yeah, what you're saying here is actually bringing together so many strands that we've spoken to people over the months. Mm-hmm. Um, into one protocol right and that's what and that's what you have to do because you, like i said people just say well i took a multivitamin with coenzyme q10 and i'm not better well it's just part of the solution you know it's just part of the solution i think and then in terms of brain inflammation i tend to people have so much sleep disturbances and problems i tend to use melatonin melatonin has been used years as, a, as kind of a natural anti-inflammatory it has lots of brain effects so i i don't call it a sleeping pill i call it as like a sleep hormone and and it's used for lots of neurological conditions and actually if you look at a recent bmj article british medical journal article they actually recommend melatonin and it's got no downside as far as i'm concerned and it's much safer than zopiclone or dalmane which zops you and then you're doped up the next day you sleep not just that night but you sleep for days to come uh, Emily's good on melatonin, aren't you, Emily? I'm not so good. I get headaches. Melatonin is one of the thing that, but I do. I would recommend Noreen trying different brands because mm-hmm. I've had brands that haven't worked for me at all, and I found some that have been really mm-hmm. good. But yeah. melatonin, honestly, sourced out. I think that was the beginning of me starting to feel somewhat better, being somewhat more operational because I had such bad sleep for 18 months mm-hmm. that I wasn't. My body wasn't able to heal at all until I actually sorted out that sleep. Right. And the melatonin really helped me with that. And you take it every day. It's not like a sleeping pill. It's like, I call it a sleep hormone. It's like thyroid replacement, hormone replacement. You don't take it when you feel hot. You take it every day. Yeah. So you take it every day. And I think that's part of the solution. And then there's a whole bunch of, like I said, complementary support, diet support, better avoiding stress, pacing yourself, not pushing yourself. And then these exercises that I, I think do help. 
some of the breathing exercises to retrain. You need to retrain your brain, sympathetic, parasympathetic balance. And some of these breathing exercises to, to re-stimulate the parasympathetic system. Because they work on vagal tone, is that right? Yeah, they work in vagal tone, but they also work on... Part of the problem is people are in this fight or flight mode. They're sympathetic driven. So they're, they have this oversensitivity to noise, to sound, to yeah. light, to, 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 you know, that their blood pressure goes up, their temperature goes up, their pulse goes up and down, up and down and up and down. It's, I, I, the analogy I use is you get a brain injury, you get head trauma. Yeah, you've described it as being like head trauma, haven't you? You? you get a concussion. What happens after people get concussions? They very often have sleep disturbances, mood problems, headaches, head pressures. They, they have all these neurological symptoms that are unexplained. And then they have, they have alcohol intolerance, you know, interestingly, yep. which is part of the problem. That? Of, so that. that, that's been known for years with, with head trauma. And you see the exact same thing in patients with chronic Lyme, the Lyme that doesn't get better that I described to you. And you're seeing the same thing with the long COVID patients. So we need neuro. In Ireland, they have eight pulmonary centers with pulmonary specialists that don't know what tinnitus is, telling people to go get pulmonary function tests to manage their brain fog and their tinnitus. We've got the wrong specialists running, running the show. We need more neuro rehabilitation specialists we need occupational therapists physiotherapists who have managed brain injuries and i think that really is a, it's not the only part of the solution but i think it's that's where the money is okay a lot of people recently have found um, help at concussion clinics yeah exactly exactly and that's what i'm saying that that that's what's going to do the job yeah but like i said i keep on seeing people going to you know, the, the centres in, in Ireland have been pulmonary doctors. And Didn't you start a long COVID clinic and then the funding was taken away? Well, the funding was never given to me in the first oh. place. This is the, the unfortunate part. So that there's always politics and you don't, pe people who are doing the work don't necessarily get the support. And it's true in research everywhere, you know. So we've done 18, 20 publications in Ireland based on the grants. That, so we put together a long COVID clinic with grant money, we never got funding, but then they assigned the long COVID clinics to other centers, not the matter of where I work. And those other centers are not seeing patients with long COVID. As a rule, they're using the money for <laughs> sleep apnea clinics, HIV clinics. So it's very difficult for patients uh, to be in that situation, to have a government that says that they're providing services, but they're providing the wrong services and the patients can't access treatment and support so i think this is a this virus we've learned a huge amount about it and we have to change direction very quickly as as we get new science coming along but unfortunately governments and healthcare systems are are elephants they they move very slowly and they're very slow to change direction so i see patients privately now for long covid in dublin and i see patients privately in Edinburgh now for long COVID, I'm seeing, I've got a clinic in Edinburgh, but I, I'm unable to see patients in the public sector, which is unfortunate because a lot of people can't afford, you know, all of yeah. that. So Especially kind of when you're three years into long COVID and people have lost their jobs and you know, lost their livelihood. So yeah, it is it is a definite yeah. challenge. But the other thing I had to mention is that the, the one thing that the, the, I think one of the critical 
treatments that I really think I can stand by is the LDN. And the LDN is, like I said, some low-dose naltrexone has been used by rheumatologists, by neurologists. I used it as an infectious disease doctor previously. I've used it for my Lyme patients. And it has some kind of anti-inflammatory effect in the brain. And it has some kind of immune modulating effect as well. And that is, it's naltrexone, which is used as an opiate receptor antagonist. But you, what you're doing is that you're using it at much smaller doses. Exactly. So this, there's protocols in UK and Ireland. If, if you see somebody who's overdosed, you give them an injection of 50 milligrams of naltrexone and it reverses their opiate coma. So it has some kind of an anti, it has some kind of an effect in blocking the receptors in the brain. So that, that effect seems to help, you know, patients with, with many of the symptoms of, of long, of, of COVID long COVID. So I started prescribing it after a year of watching patients go a year, not getting better. Patients with pain syndromes, patients with headaches, patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, patients with neuralgias, patients with lots of the symptomatology of long COVID. And we just prescribed it low dose, one milligram, building up to two milligrams, building up to three milligrams, building up to 4.5 milligrams. It's a very safe medication. The only side effect, sometimes it calls, causes people to have funny dreams. Occasionally it can cause insomnia, but it usually improves people's sleep most of the time. But either way, we, we did a questionnaire before starting people on it. We had an ethical approval to do that. And we did a questionnaire at two months. And at two months, we published this actually. Yeah, It wasn't really an efficacy trial. It was just a pilot of the obs observation of the use of the LDN in long COVID patients. And within two months, patients had improvements in pain, head pressures, concentration, energy, sleep disturbances. All of these symptoms improved. So it's a first step and bigger studies need to be done, but those studies won't be out for years and years. So I'm, I think it's a reasonable thing that we should be given today while we wait for the magic cure. So here's a question I'm mindful that we've only got a few minutes left. You've been basically looking at patients now for almost three years. Mm -hmm. Have you seen anyone recover? Yes, I've seen lots of people recover, but I've seen a few people that just flatlines, you know, despite everything, they're just not getting better. That's the thing. Or they may have some minor improvements in the symptomatology, but they, they, they never go back to the way they, be, they were before. You, un, you understand what I'm saying? I have some nurses that are 100% back to fine, but I also have some nurses that basically are now working three and a half days a week. But if they go to four days, they crash still, even tears down the way. So, so I think most of the damage is reversible, I think, and I'm seeing that. But in some situations, we don't have all the answers. So and that really has the the improvements have been through your multi supplement approach alongside LDN. Do you think that's been the key or has LDN been one thing that has helped everyone? Well, I think no, LDN doesn't work for everybody either. I would say 80% of people respond to LDN. I've got 20% of people that don't respond at all. So I think it's a combination of things. I think it's the supplements plus the LDN plus the NAC, plus the melatonin, plus the probiotics, I, I guess I would say, I wouldn't say one thing is getting people better. And then pacing yourself in some of these exercises, you know, these kind of complementary approaches to treatment, I think they're helpful. 
And then even people like chronic fatigue syndrome, I think there is a role for hyperbaric oxygen. Part of the theory of hyperperfusion defects to the brain, what's causing that is it microclots. I have patients that are presenting with almost like TIA-like symptoms, you know, weakness in one arm, almost like a mini stroke. There's studies done in America using anticoagulants for people with refractory long COVID, using heavy-duty anticoagulants like clopridogrel, um, apixaban, apixaban yeah. aspirin. And I think that's too risky because that study did help people, but one person had a bleed in their brain, one person had an intestinal bleed, which, you know, life-threatening. So I don't think you can justify that. But using using a baby aspirin, 75 milligrams a day, in some situations, using natokinase, which is a herbal product, some of seropeptase, some of these products could be helpful. My, my in-laws are Japanese. They've used natokinase as a supplement from the day they were born, and they're all living into their 80s and 90s. So natokinase has some anticoagulant effect. Natokinase seem to work on the spike protein as well. So we don't have all the answers. Every day we're learning new things. And I think in the meantime, we need to look at safe options to support people. And it is complex, but people are getting better. And some things are working to improve the quality of patients' life. And some patients are going back to full recovery. They're not doing it spontaneously. You can't just... Wish it away. You can't exercise and make yourself better, graded exercise. And that's still being recommended. Disaster. People are still recommending CBT therapy. It's not a psychiatric problem. I I think that the people who are recommending that should get CBT therapy themselves. (laughs) it's criminal the way that that you know that some health professionals are discounting the issues of long covid and putting them in a psychiatric basket and it's not only that it's that a lot of the funding is going to those graded exercise therapy and cbt Uh, absolutely And, and 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 like i said i think there's i think my clinic being closed down in ireland is an example of of hidden politics that i don't understand but it's not really hurting me it's hurting patients, which is tragic because I see patients every day who have been failed by the system and the system standing up saying, we're great, we're doing everything right, and they're not. But Dr. Lambert, you're amazing because you're you're one of the few bright sparks out there for people like us. Right. Because it's, what you've given us today is really, really comprehensive, practical advice and safe advice because we are seeing so many people taking big risks, going to various places, apheresis, yeah. Um, triple anticoagulants without yeah. actually necessarily having the the full oversight or, or testing. Right. I've got a slight presentation that reviews all of this and actually reviews all the publications that we've done in Ireland, looking at the complications of long COVID from the studies we've done here. We've got about 18, 20 publications over the last three years on COVID, long COVID. We'll add it to our website. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm I'm not trying to keep secrets here. I'm trying to share my knowledge Open source. <laughs> so that more people can benefit, you know? Yeah. And interestingly, in LDN in Ireland, none of the long COVID clinics will prescribe it. No, I'm not here either in, in England. And all the private clinics are prescribing yeah. it. Yeah. And I just heard that LDN is now being prescribed by the Mayo Clinic. So, so like, like I said, I think the, the issue is, is that we, we have a sense of urgency here. This is an emergency pandemic, not just for COVID, but for long COVID. And I think we need to look at safe options. And I think LDN is one of those. And I think 
the, the UK government and the Irish government should take on board the data available on LDN and make it available free of charge to people. I think NAC should be available free of charge to people. Melatonin should be available free of charge to people. Uh, hyperbaric oxygen should be avail- made available for people with chronic fatigue. So I do, I do think that we, we need to have people on top making decisions who have the experience and the knowledge, and we need to have more patient input into the decision-making. And that unfortunately is, is truly lacking in Ireland. The Minister of Health has refused to meet with the patient groups and has gone on record as saying that in the Irish Times. So I just think that we need to work together to come up with solutions. And at the present time, uh, we're not there, but we're working on it. So it was a little, little moment of hope, wasn't it? It was. And the reason we sought him out was because of his expertise in LDN, which became very popular amongst the long COVID community for a while in the hopes that it would help. We just wanted to really find out a bit more about it. And it, to me, it sounds like a positive thing and something that we should try along with the NAC. I love his protocol. I'd go on that protocol, I think, because it doesn't seem too aggressive. No. And he's had some success. And we will put his protocol presentation onto our website for anyone that might want to follow up on that. This week, I did just want to mention that my daughter has said that she really does think that we should move to an island. She said it would be really nice if you were sitting there on an island and you could hear all the parakeets and things. I said, we don't need to go to an island for that. We've got Noreen's parrot in the background (laughs) of every single episode. She said, from now on, I don't want you editing that out. I want to hear that parrot every week because it makes me feel like you're on a desert island. So this week comes to you from the TLC island. (laughs) Otherwise known as South Croydon. He's very vocal today. I he's very vocal today. Yeah. Oh, look, he's whistling. Yeah. This has been playing on my mind for a bit because, you know, for the first time in a long time, I said to you, I think it's the first time I've ever said to you, I really wonder sometimes if I've got long COVID mm. and if I just don't have a heart condition or MCAS or I've got something else and there is no such thing as long COVID. Because you do feel at certain times like, maybe I don't know maybe it's just not there it's something else yeah I actually while I was going was talking to Harry about that Harry Lee me because it's almost like we gaslight ourselves and you try to almost justify the things that you've got as not being related to COVID but in terms of chronology when you actually boil it down it turns out it did all come from the COVID or it did for me and when people say oh did you not have this before no used to live a normal life before I think that I probably did have an underlying autoimmune condition because of the eczema and things but it didn't affect me like this I mean I didn't spend half my life in bed before no and I didn't have a heart condition I used to run every day but, (laughs) but I think the reason I'm feeling like this and I wanted to just bring up feelings at this point is that we are three years in yeah, and we've gone past the point of we'll get better next week, which we, yeah. which is why we ask the weekly question: How was your week? Yeah, we've gone past that point. Yeah, because I think when we started this, we thought that we would see maybe some incremental progress week on week. We would have something to report. <laughs> There's literally been no upward trajectory with our health. I wouldn't say. 
No, we can... it was three years for me on the 14th. It's not quite three years for me. We've known about it for three years now. I feel like it's part of my life for good or bad. And you and I both agree that we should make the best of the good days and F the pacing for a start because otherwise we'd just be in bed the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a definite shift in the way I view my health and maybe it's a dip in positivity, I guess, where you're looking for other answers. Yeah. You look sad. Don't be sad. I'm not sad. This is the way it is. But I I definitely know that feeling to the point of trying to gaslight myself that the actual symptoms that I'm having are not real. Because I think a lot of the time people don't, people out there, normal people don't necessarily believe you. Because something that people said when I was out the other night is that when it, when you do these things, when you turn up to these things, you show up. And if you've actually shown up, you put on a good show because you don't want to always be, like we were saying last week, you don't always want to be the doomsayer in the corner. So you kind of put on a good show and you're fine for that time. No one sees the flip side of that, the two days in bed that follow it. My husband said to me, I just left you because you were basically curled in a ball. And I just thought you didn't want anyone coming anywhere near you. I think because other people are like, oh, well, it, you don't seem to be very ill. Yeah. Because you don't bring that side of it out in the general public. We only discuss it in our little echo chamber here. Yeah. That's why people refer to it as an invisible illness, I guess, because we're out in the world and then we come home to recover. Yeah. Go into our hibernation state until we can come out again. I think three years is quite a long time. I think one to two years, you kind of think, yeah, I should get better. And when you get to three years, you start to think, well, maybe the best I hope for is I don't get worse. <laughs> maybe. Right? Yeah. I'm just laying it all out there, truth bombs. Yeah. Thing is that uh, you've had more testing than me in terms of, MRIs or CTs and things I don't have any imaging of pretty much any of my body I don't I have my bloods from various stages but because we don't really have any markers of the damage that it's done to us it's all done on how you feel as to whether you're getting better or worse I think I'm fairly what did you say before slightly less shit it's either super shit or slightly less shit those are kind of it just flicks between the two no that's 100% right (laughs) Absolutely. But I think, you know, as a whole package, you need to be joyful as well. Like I take great joy in my kids and my books and my yeah. my crappy TV series that I enjoy. And so it's these little things you've got, you've got to be happy. And, but you have you know. to. And that's why I went out to a party on Saturday night, even though it cost me two days in bed, because you've got to do those things that bring you joy when you can and take really take pleasure in them. Well... I'm really very glad that you're my friend. <laughs> Same. I don't think, I don't know how we would have got through this if we didn't have each other to talk to. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm really, really lucky and grateful for that. Join us next week as we hear others' experiences of long COVID. Share your stories and questions at tlcsessions.net. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. And if you found this interesting, please do subscribe.